Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. So I'm here today with Kaylee Billerbeck. Did I say that correctly? Yes. Yeah. And she happens to be a senior at Chapman University. And the way that we met was online through social media. So I thought this was such a cool thing. Kaylee reached out to me and said, I just want some advice. I, I would love to meet with you and pick your brain. And I get those messages all the time. And I usually reply back like, thank you so much, but my schedule doesn't permit. But there was something about the way you wrote this great message. And then I, of course, stalked you on social media. And I'm like, this is a girl with tenacity. And like, how ballsy is it that she just like reached out to me and, you know, pitched herself and made such a great impression on me? Let's do this. So here we are today. Kaylee is going to officially pick my brain. And I said, just you can ask me anything you want. It's your show. Thank you for being here, and I'm yeah. excited to do this. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I have, like, so many questions, so prepare yourself. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so the first one, when I was reading about how you purchased your first piece of land when you were 13, yep. and just, like, thinking about being an entrepreneur, especially at such a young age and going through high school, I mean, there's so many extracurricular activities and stuff. Yeah. What did you have to sacrifice, like, constantly being an entrepreneur and stuff? Well, I think I should probably set the record straight and just be clear that it wasn't like I was an entrepreneur or, or thought of myself as a business person at that time. I had some money and my dad suggested that I buy a little plot of land mm-hmm. and that it was a way for me to make income, but I didn't do anything. Like I, I just was like, okay, but like really it was him teaching me those things. Okay. It wasn't my idea. I didn't manage it. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I was this extraordinary child. I think what was extraordinary is that my parents were always teaching me mm-hmm. that there were ways to help people or ways to take your money, invest your money, and make money. And so the only thing that I remember about that is that every month, I think the payment was $40. Somebody <laughs> rented that piece of land and put a trailer on it. It was like a really cheap piece of land in the woods in a very rural part of Michigan. Somebody leased the land and put their trailer on it, and they sent me a lease payment every month of like 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. But every month, my dad would have me open that up and see the check, and as a teenager, that made an impression on me, but I didn't do much with it. So I meet people all the time that will say like, I really want to get my kids into business too. I'm like, yeah, do that. Mm -hmm. But don't expect them not to be a kid. Like teach them the opportunities there. But like you said, I didn't sacrifice much in terms of being a kid. Mm -hmm. I worked a lot. I do think I didn't do as much social things maybe Mm -hmm. or wasn't as dedicated to sports in high school as other kids because I was so already caught up in the idea of like, wow, I could start something now. Yeah, no, definitely. So what, like, I guess, because I mean, just like even as a college student, like you're constantly being told this idea of balance. You know, you need to find the balance between work and fun. And I feel like that's kind of the struggle, like at least like with my friends that we've kind of talked about is where do I draw the line at like having a social life, school, and then also kind of pursuing something on my own or even like if you have to work to make some kind of income and stuff. So where would you say like you kind of draw Mm. that line? So let me ask you a question. You said that that's kind of a message is balance, Mm -hmm. which is I'm surprised by that because I didn't ever hear that message until I was completely out of balance. So I don't know if I was never hearing it, but it was out there. Yeah. Or if there's been this shift in society. So where do you hear this message of balance? I guess to be fair, I hear it a lot from my mom. My mom is like, she's always been like my biggest cheerleader, but I kind of the same thing where I was like, I just felt like I've been so out of balance in college and 
it's always been this thing of like my mom's like okay when are you gonna like keep doing because I I was very like driven in high school and then I kind of got to college and it was like a celebration of getting there you know so I kind of sure. like pulled back from things I knew that were important so I think like that what pursuing what I really want to do like I've always loved to like pass along wisdom and stuff that honestly like my mom's taught me and I've learned from things I've done so I think that that like that truly is like my purpose is helping teenage girls kind and of you lost sight of that a little bit when you first got to college okay yeah, that's so, good yeah that's good yeah and I think it's good to lose sight to kind of be like you said out of balance to find that balance yeah you have yeah. to kind of feel the extremes I know you're talking about that in one of your podcasts yeah yeah when like you guys were in debt you know and you kind of had to like see both sides in order to kind of understand yeah so I guess I wonder if it is something that's being more so like heard in society because even like my friends like yeah. some of my good friends and stuff like we talk about finding that balance. I also think it's who you're paying attention to, right? That's so true. there are certain, like, I know you're a podcast listener. I'm a podcast listener and I watch YouTube videos. And I think it depends on who you're watching. Like there are certain people like, I just don't even watch them because they make me feel like I'm not doing enough. They make me feel like I should be hustling harder. Mm-hmm. And even some of my early mentors, virtual mentors, like people who I watched online, Mm -hmm. that was kind of the message, like be first in, be last out. You can outwork people. In fact, I watched someone the other day, just like a random person on Instagram. And I was like, oh, I love this guy's attitude. He's like got so much tenacity and he's just like believes in himself. And then I heard him say, but I will outwork everybody. I, you know, I'll grind 20 hours a day. And I thought, ah, that lost me Mm -hmm. because now I really try to just you know, what I allow into my brain is what grows. And so I try to block out people who have that message of like grind, grind, hustle, hustle, sacrifice. Now I'm like, you know, it's what's important to you. And for me, balance is important. Yeah. So kind of going off of that, one of my questions was, do you think like you would have gotten to where you are today had you not? Because I know you had said like you worked really hard and you were like, I'm out of balance and this is, it's not working for me. But do you think you would have gotten your business to where it ultimately led to if you hadn't done that? That's a really good, really good question. It's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. And I will often hear people say that. They'll say, well, don't you think you had to have had that time where you were hustling so hard in order to have the amount of success where you can create balance? And I would say that is not true because I've seen it. I've seen many people who are smart like you, who are figuring out before they fail, mm-hmm. that they're like, okay, so there's there are other ways to do this. There's a way to do this where I don't have to destroy myself and I can actually enjoy the things that I love. So if you're smart enough, I don't think you have to hustle so hard that you fail or be so out of balance that things suffer in your life, important things. Mm -hmm. But it's a matter of listening to wise counsel and like having faith and believing Mm -hmm. because hard work feels like it's you're accomplishing more. But I always think smart work is better than hard work. That's really true. So what what would you say is smart work as opposed to like going all in and kind of being out of balance? <sighs> Good questions. Okay, so that <laughs> <Putting on> spot. <laughs> right. No, that I think the key to smart work is slowing down and not have a scarcity mindset that if I don't do something very fast right now without thinking about it and take advantage of this opportunity, this opportunity is going to go away. Mm-hmm. I think to work smart is to slow down, strategize, figure out Okay, first of all, does this make sense? Is this the right next step? Who else can help me? Mm -hmm. How can I make this easier? What are the long-term consequences? Why is it I'm doing this? Mm -hmm. And if you do those things, you always do 
the right thing instead of just doing things. Yeah. And in the past, I would just do. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I didn't give myself permission, I should say. I knew how to strategize, but I felt like I'm in too much of a hurry to be successful or to get to that milestone that I never slowed down to go, okay, let me think about this. Do I really want to do this? Does this mm-hmm. make sense? Is this the right step with my priorities and where I want my life to be? Okay. So, so, and I know a lot of people would say that like social media kind of contributes to that feeling of like, I need to do it now. And like, you're seeing what everybody else is doing, but you had this feeling like when you were first starting off, yeah, right? Yeah. So would you say that it is necessarily social media or like, how else do you think that that message of like, you need to constantly stand oh, to I don't face. even know how your generation is going to cope. Like, I think it is horrendous. Like, I love social media, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's how we met. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, there's so many awesome things about it. I think you can learn. You can be inspired. You can, I mean, have connections. It's insane how many cool things there are. But it's also scary how bad it can make you feel. That's so true. And how just detrimental it can be to your mindset. I mean, even myself, I really have to set up, you know, even no matter where I'm at today, mm-hmm. I really have very specific boundaries when I open up my apps because I'm so fiercely protective of my mindset mm-hmm. that even if I see a quick image, in my mind, I might flash a quick like, oh, I'm not as fit as her or oh, wow, she's on vacation and I'm not. Like any flash of that is negativity that I don't want to feed my mind. And I just did that intentionally. Mm -hmm. So I'm very careful about not feeding myself those things. But I worry that people will mistake inspiration, motivation, and believe that that's helping them when it might actually be making them feel worse about themselves. That's so true. Yeah. What what kind of like steps do you take to protect your mindset? Like especially with social media. Yeah. So I have to be self-aware mm-hmm. and realize like even though I love this person and maybe they're even a friend, but every time I look at their social media, I just I have to be honest, I compare myself. Yeah. Then I unfollow them or I hide their posts. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's hard because you're like is that person going to notice I've unfollowed yeah. them, right? Exactly. But it's like it's just it's what I have to do. It's mm-hmm. what I have to do. I'm very careful uh, not to look at the explore page. Mm-hmm. Explore page will kill me. I'm like, because your <laughs> eye goes right to that like half naked girl or the, you know, whatever the things that you're like, and then you look at it and then you get more of that because Instagram or whoever, Facebook gives you more of those things. Mm-hmm. And I always feel really good about myself. I feel great about my body. I love my life. I love where I live. I love everything until I look at Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, wow, I should be more, you know? Yeah. So I really am very careful. I don't, like people say, did you see such and such on social media? I don't because I only follow people who I know, like I'm having fun catching up with their lives. I find them motivational, inspirational. I know that those people aren't trying to make me feel bad. Mm -hmm. It's my own thing, but I just don't expose myself to it. That's smart. So, okay, back to this idea of more that you're kind of talking about. My friend, he's like always kind of been like my silent cheerleader. He'll just like send me like random inspirational things. And Is this a friend from college or high school? From high school. Okay. So I had posted this quote about like raising your standards and like kind of like pursuing this idea, how it is important to want more and whatever aspect of life you're passionate about. And we kind of got into this debate almost about where do you draw the line with more? So like, Mm. because I know that there is like definitely the perspective of, like in his perspective was, well, it can teach people to like have anxiety or feel depressed about not having what other people have. And maybe they don't want to go on to be like a famous whatever X, Y, and Z. So, but like my perspective was, but if you're like, even if like, you know, like I look at my mom who was, she's so passionate about being a mom and she wanted to be the best mom she could. And she did a great job. Exactly. So I would say that's pursuing more. Yeah. And 
so I guess like to you, what is more when you talk yeah. about more yeah. and how do you safely pursue that? Oh, that's such a good question. This girl, <laughs> this girl. More for me is growth. That's more. Mm-hmm. So growth might mean I'm learning to be a better human in a way that feels right. Mm -hmm. More for me doesn't mean collecting more things or having more people know me. It's me knowing specifically where I want to grow and those areas might make me more money, but that's not the reason I wanna grow. Mm -hmm. I want to to learn to be a better communicator. I wanna learn to be more empathetic. I wanna learn, that, like all the things I think about that are, that I'm pursuing that are more, I think make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I gauge what things I'm going to go after. Mm -hmm. And I didn't always think that way. I think initially, I'm trying to think back. I know at one point I really wanted more notoriety. Like I wanted, I remember picturing a building with my name on it, but like, why? What's great about that? Like, but I, I pictured it because in my mind, it was like, oh, that would really... I'd arrive if I had a building with my company name on the side of it, or I would arrive if I lived in this certain neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, well, this is unfulfilling. Now you can get there and be fulfilled, Mm -hmm. but it's, I think it's why you pursue that that makes you feel fulfilled or not. And I think when we pursue things, you feel pretty empty when you get those things. Yeah. You know, so for me, it's growth. That's what more is for me. What's more for you? I think I would say the same thing. And I think that for me, something that I'm I'm really passionate about is making sure that we have that growth and that idea of self-improvement, no matter what that looks like for you as an individual from a young age. And I think that we commonly like, I mean, I mean, a lot of my friends listen to podcasts, but then a lot they of do. them don't. Okay. So I think that, and I, I mean, honestly, I didn't even know what podcasts were until like August. Like I'd never really heard of them. And my and friends were like, like, you have to listen. <laughs> yeah, no, and I have like, it's like this whole other world. And then like, it's like, like a secret society free? kind of. I know you're like, why am I in college? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but Just kidding, mom. But it's, I mean, it's, it's true. It's like, there's so much of this stuff, but there isn't necessarily that growth. that's kind of instilled into like, even like teenagers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like, we really need that. Like, do you see that that's kind of a thousand percent? Yeah. Where are you going to get it other than your mom and dad, maybe your faith and the people around you. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's rare. And I always wonder how much of this is DNA, like how much of it, like you were just born this way Mm -hmm. and how much of it is the people we have around us. I do believe that everyone can acquire a taste for it, like a desire for it. And I think that taste and desire comes when you experience how profoundly happy you feel when you recognize you've experienced growth, Mm -hmm. like where you're like, this is fun. Like I can learn new things. I can be, you know, terrible at it at first. And if I apply myself, I can get better. Mm-hmm. And that's how we feel alive. Like growth makes people feel alive. Yeah. And so I think once people give themselves permission to not be good at something, because mm-hmm. that's what happens before you grow. If you give yourself permission to not be good at something, it's so rewarding to feel growth. Yeah. And I think anyone can feel that. But I do think it is something most people experience later in life yeah unless they have great influences around them like great parents or you Mm -hmm. know mentors or people of influence you know and and sometimes like i think about people who i grew up with and their parents were frankly horrible parents don't even deserve the title Mm -hmm. but how did these people turn out amazing well they turned out amazing because they had a sense of like who was healthy around them and who they should align with Mm -hmm. and i think that's a dna thing right Mm -hmm. like i've got friends who their childhood is just horrific, but they knew 
from looking at what was going on in their family, like, this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is what not to do, yeah, you know? Yeah, definitely. How do you think that we start to, I guess, change that? And it's hard to reach teenagers because a lot of what you learn, yeah. like you said, is what happens in the house. Like, you learn from your parents and you see them as, or if maybe you don't have parents, you know, that contributes right. to it too, or your teachers and stuff, but sometimes they don't always have the time to invest in just you. Right. So how do we change that? One person at a time, you know, I think sometimes we feel like our influence needs to be global. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think you can make the most profound difference by affecting one person. But I've also learned you can't want it for someone else, mm-hmm. you know. So sometimes you see someone who's got this incredible potential and they they just don't believe. They don't believe in themselves. They haven't experienced the things that you've experienced. And you just, you want to show them all the possibilities and like just hold up a mirror so they can see who they really are Mm -hmm. and they're just not ready for it yeah and i've learned not to i don't want to say waste energy because that sounds bad but yeah i've learned to go when someone's ready like that's the best place and person to use your energy on Mm -hmm. and when you're trying to force it for someone who like they don't want it for themselves yet you're taking that energy away from someone who is ready yeah you know and does see it so i think most people will find that we hope in their own time. Where do you kind of like, because I know like you've talked about a lot how like you love to help people and I think that that like, that's something that I really resonated with because it you see people and like, you see the beauty in them and I think a lot of it does come, you kind of mentioned empathy a little earlier. Yeah. Like you see maybe why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And it's like, I know like, I know where, where we could just like tighten this and yeah. like, and you'd be like set and you could achieve like X, Y, and Z and like really flourish. But where do you draw the line of like wanting to see the good in them and help them out and be there for them? Yeah. And kind of having to say, okay, but like I need to preserve like my sanity also. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, that's a hard lesson I learned because I would kind of like feel like I had failed if that person either didn't see it, didn't take the advice, or just, you know, wasn't having it. It wasn't the right time for them. And I would see it as my own personal failure. Like, this is my, this person is my project. I'm going to take this wounded bird and I'm going to nurse it back to health. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, I just, I realized that had become a distraction. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a way for me to not have to deal with my own thing. It's much easier to be trying to help someone who's way down there then realizing like you've got things you need to fix. So mm-hmm. for one, I had to recognize the reason why I was doing it was self-serving. It, it wasn't an altruistic, like I want to help this person. I was doing it because I wanted to feel better about me. So that was number one, was recognizing what was motivating me. And then number two was once I figured that out, I still want to help people. I'm still drawn to doing that. But now the boundary that I set is that person must be making progress. Even if it's crawling, if they're not crawling, I can't drag someone. Mm-hmm. So I will, like, for example, you know, random people will reach out to me. And of course, I have my students. But like, even with my students, if they'll reach out and ask for something specific, if I give them, uh, like, here, you should do this, and then I don't hear from them again, I'm not following up with them. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, you've got to be able to take the ball, own responsibility, and run with it. And if I don't see people, understanding their own personal responsibility, then I'm like, okay, I love you. And maybe it's not the right time, but I can't invest more time in that person. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, I even have close friends where it's like, yeah, I want to just go in there and give them 10 things they could be doing. They'd be make their marriage so much better or make their business so much easier. Mm -hmm. And I'll throw a little nugget out there. And if they don't reel it in, it's like, okay, I still love you. 
it's not my responsibility to control your life. Yeah. It's God's responsibility, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I just have to like, let it be. Mm-hmm. Have you found that like being able to kind of see like maybe where other people could kind of like improve themselves or like improve their situations. Have you found that because you have that mindset, people almost take it personally? Like if like you're trying to help them or maybe if you're, when you've got to this place of having that balance that they almost like kind of took it personally. Sure. Yeah. I think I have a tendency to be a know-it-all and I've had a mentor of mine point that out to me. Like, you know, you, you have a tone sometimes, Shaleen, when you're doing your videos where you're almost like, you seem annoyed with people. I'm like, <laughs> I do? I'm like, that's because I am. But it's, you know, I'm not trying. It's just I get frustrated because it's like you're kids and you want them to make the right decisions and it seems so obvious. So that's something I'm working on personally because mm-hmm. I do. I, I, know, I know I'm a know-it-all. I have to catch myself. I also know I'm better at it especially with my closest friends, because those are the people I care about the most. Mm-hmm. So those are like, like little sisters, but I'm not their older sister, but I treat them sometimes like little sisters. I'm like, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. And some advice I take and some they don't, and I'm learning now to at least wait for them to ask me for mm-hmm. advice and not just, you know, be telling them what to do. Yeah. Okay, so I've been like obsessed with the idea of empathy. It's my whole oh. senior thesis is on empathy. Really? So I've been really fascinated by it. Do you think that empathy is this key thing that helps you kind of see through different things with people and where maybe they could improve certain areas of their Well, lives? you're the expert. So tell me so that we're on the same definition. How do you describe empathy? Being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and really experience the emotional states that they're in and kind of like from their background and maybe where they've been in yeah. their lives. Yeah. I don't know if it helps with that, but I do know that empathy and emotional intelligence mm-hmm. are like the ultimate advantage. Mm-hmm. If you have strong empathy and emotional intelligence, you don't take things so personal. Mm-hmm. So you have fewer obstacles in that regard. You are so much happier because you can see things from other people's perspective and it gives you a deep understanding, like a view from 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of the most valuable qualities you can have. And I think you can learn to be far more empathetic. Mm -hmm. I personally found, I don't know if you found this to be true, but the more hurt and wounded people are, the less empathetic they are. Yeah. Not all. And those people who have like a really tough exterior, they give people very little grace. Mm -hmm. They usually have, they're doing that from a self-protecting place. Like they want to protect themselves. So therefore I'm going to judge everybody and I'm not going to see it from their perspective. And once you can teach people like how much easier it is on you mm-hmm. to actually be empathetic, you can start to build those traits. I think every day I learn to be more empathetic because mm-hmm. I still recognize that I have judgment of people that stems from me not having enough awareness. Mm-hmm. And every you know year I'll meet someone who it's like, wow, you've changed my perspective on fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. So it's just like as I get older and as I meet and open myself up to just being open-minded to other people's experiences, that empathy just makes life so much richer, so much fuller, and you just understand like everyone has a story. Yeah. I remember I just listened to your podcast and that man that you were sitting next to at the conference who had that like crazy story and stuff. And knowing about somebody's past like so much, it's just it's so important in being able to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And like you said, to not take it personally. Yeah, have yeah. You, have you found though that you've ever been like kind of called sensitive or anything for having empathy? And how have you? 
yeah. that with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, my husband is a very black and white thinker. Mm-hmm. Like, so he's learning to have more empathy. <laughs> but, and, you know, he's also teaching me, I think, sometimes to, because I can say, I can see it both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, and I usually can. I'm like, I can see how they would have thought this way. You know, you two people have this an experience and they describe it in two completely different ways. And mm-hmm. are they both wrong? Is one right and one's wrong? Like in most cases, they're probably both right because they come at it from their own experience. Mm-hmm. And I think at times my empathy could be labeled as being naive mm-hmm. or too forgiving mm-hmm. or forgetful. Sometimes I just forget or I'm like, oh, yeah, but, you know, if you consider how they were raised or what happened to them, that's why they did this. So it's sometimes, but I, I still think it's better to be empathetic. Like, I still mm-hmm. think you win when you're empathetic. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I don't know. I know for me, like, I'm such an overthinker. So when I know people's stories and why they're doing things, I just, like, I sit and I think about it. And, like, and like you said, seeing things from so many different perspectives, how do you channel your empathy and your understanding of others so that it's not driving you crazy? Okay. So, yeah, that's learning not to worry, mm-hmm. right? So understanding that it's out of your control and there's so few things that we can control so I, I, I put that in the category of worrying, like, mm-hmm. you know, worrying about what someone's going to do or worrying about how they're going to take care of themselves. And for me, it's my faith. I just have to remind myself when I catch myself doing that, that I'm trying to do his job, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I can't control that. He already has a plan for everybody's lives, including mine, including someone who I care about. And when I'm trying to control that or worrying about it, then I'm not just allowing you know, purpose to take hold in their life. Yeah. So it's just learning to just like, well, there's not much I can do about that. Yeah, that's so true. I kind of take carrying through this idea of empathy. Do you think this helped you be able to, when you, I know you had talked about when you were really wanting to go into group fitness and stuff and be a personal trainer. Do you think that being able to see from another perspective helped you overcome those failures and people turning you down to maybe understand where they're coming from? Um... I don't know that I relied on my empathy to keep persevering fitness. So, you know, in the beginning when I first moved to California, so I I was teaching fitness classes in in Michigan. Mm -hmm. I was going to Michigan State University. I was teaching on the campus, teaching at a small Gold's gym. And then when I moved to California, I'm like, do you guys want to hire me? Like, I thought it was sweet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and I kept going on these auditions. And I remember they were... Like, I knew five minutes in, I'm like, oh, wait, I, I suck. Like, I, <laughs> how did this happen? I'm bad? Like, I'm bad. I knew I was bad. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, like, understand, like, how did this happen? I, I was good in Michigan, but it was just a different standard out here. Like, wow, it was a different standard. And it wasn't empathy, although maybe it was. Like, yeah, maybe it was a little bit of empathy that I didn't think, oh, they just don't like me or they're rude. I was like, oh, you know, they're trying to make the best decision for this gym. And I'm not on the same caliber as these other instructors, but I know I could be. Mm -hmm. So I didn't give up because I knew in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I I know I'm not good, but I know I I could be. Mm -hmm. Like there's certain things you you pick up and you're like, yeah, I'll never be good at this. But there are certain things you pick up and you're like, you know what? Like, I'm not great, but I definitely, I know I could be good at this. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt about fitness. Yeah. I felt that way about fitness. And I also wanted to help that woman who I knew it took so much courage for her to just walk into a gym and exercise 
with other people. I wanted to help her. Mm -hmm. Right away when I first started taking fitness class, I would see the people in the back row and I I could sense and feel how anxious they felt and uncomfortable and how much courage that took, Mm -hmm. you know? So I always wanted to take, they were the reason why I wanted to get into fitness. Being dynamic like that is so important. Like just being able to kind of like sense that with people. And you would talk about was like social anxiety and making people in a room feel wanted. Yes. Kind of being able to feel that perspective and taking on the role of like, going out there and you listen to my podcast <laughs> i like you i love your podcast i'm like oh shailene again <laughs> love it and i um so kind of going off of this idea like perseverance and stuff and starting small uh-huh. did you find that it was difficult to start small i know i would read a quote by brendan bouchard i think it was on instagram and he was talking about people kind of don't take you seriously uh-huh. when you're starting off small sure so maybe like even going into those auditions had you had more credentials or something or higher positions, they would have taken you more seriously. How yeah. do you overcome starting small? Okay, so this is just an honest answer. And I don't know if it'll help people, but it's just my honest answer. And I never thought anything I was doing was small. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was bigger than what it was and more special. And I think that's because my parents brainwashed me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was fortunate enough to have, like, and there, I realize this now as I'm an adult and my parents are staying with me and they have all these grandkids and they're like, Ugh. Your nephew, Luke, he's like a bodybuilder. He's four. You know, I'm like, really? And then I see him. I'm like, he looks like a four-year-old. I mean, they're like, he's got definition, this kid. And they talk that way about everybody in our mm-hmm. family. Like, he's got super, and I think he's going to be. And then, like, my daughter, they're like, she is the most beautiful, stunning girl. She is going to be a supermodel on an international level. Like, the way they talk, mm-hmm. that's how they talk to us. Mm-hmm. So we had this, like, I had this overinflated, perhaps, belief that I could do anything and that everything I did was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked to my advantage because I've never questioned myself. I always feel like this is a big deal. I just did this. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I always was excited. Whatever it was I was doing, I always thought it was as big as it was going to be. I didn't know it could keep getting bigger. Mm-hmm. So I never felt like anything I was doing was small, even though like now in retrospect, I'm like, wow, that was like just the beginning. Mm-hmm. I just scratched the surface. So that's my honest answer. Yeah. That's such a good mindset to have. I honestly didn't really even think about it in that perspective. So that's, yeah. it's nice to hear that because that's I something have, that I've kind of been grappling with a little bit lately. So and so, which part of it, which part do you identify with? Like, do you think, wow, this is small or do you think this is a big deal? I think that switching my mentality to, wow, this is a big deal is important. And yeah. it kind of makes me think about, even I, I know a lot of people talk about this, but saying if my message reaches one person, then I'm doing good. Right, so, right. And I think for me, obviously it, it is starting a little bit smaller and I plan to continue to work, but making sure that I am realizing that like, that it is an accomplishment to touch even two people. And when people yeah. reach out to me about things that I post, if they resonate with them, there's always at least one or two people. So right, realizing right. that, okay, we're on the right track. So I just yeah. got to keep going, keep persevering and don't stop, you know? Do you accept it when people give you compliments and point those things out? Like, dude, you're killing it. And you did this and you do that. Do you acknowledge those things? I, do you I'm getting them? better at them. Uh-huh. That's one thing that my mom's really talked to me about. She'll say, and I know you talk about this in your podcast too. When somebody compliments you, stepping back and saying, thank you. Yeah. And not excusing it, not saying, oh, well, I did this, this, and this. Yeah. And or belittling it or making it sound smaller. Well, yeah. yeah. I think that's really important. I have a, a good friend who didn't grow up with that positive affirmation, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's, you just can't be understated. I had such an advantage. Like when people are like, oh, you're success. I'm like, 
I have two parents who are like the ultimate cheerleaders mm -hmm. and positive, happy people. I didn't grow up in an abusive home. Like I didn't have to overcome. And I always felt like that was a disadvantage for me. I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. no one's ever going to call me resilient because I haven't had to overcome anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have now, but like I look at people who've overcome their circumstances and survived abusive childhoods or, you know, maybe a, a parent who was addicted or, you know, physically abusive, sexual abuse, like these kinds of things. I'm like, that blows me away. The resilience of those kind of people just, I'm beyond obsessed with that kind of resilience. And I often find that those kind of people, like they've done amazing things and they don't have someone there to say like, that's huge mm -hmm. you know so it's like learning to recognize like yeah you're right that is huge people in my situation shooting up heroin on the street like it's a big deal that i've gone to college or that i've maintained this marriage or that i have healthy children despite the way i was raised like that's a big deal and i think people need to learn to celebrate those things yeah i agree acknowledge them i was talking to my best friend hannah and we were discussing how shout out to hannah <laughs> she's amazing i like i don't know what i would do without her but we were talking about how a lot of motivational speakers we've listened to, just even in high school, having people come and talk to us, a lot of them are those stories of like that insane resilience. Do you think that it's sometimes hard for kids who maybe haven't had those? Because that was kind of something that mm -hmm. I felt too. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really have one of those huge stories. triumphs. Yeah. yeah. But then I looked at my mom who did, and to me that was just like, ah. oh my gosh. Like, I don't know. I, I idolized her for that. Yeah. But do you think it's hard for kids to relate sometimes to those motivational speakers that are coming into high schools and talking about these big things. It's almost like we want to like have those things that we've overcome to feel yeah. successful. I don't know about you, but I just find the more I talk to people and ask them questions, they do have those things. Like I think what's more rare is someone who hasn't had crazy obstacles to overcome. Mm -hmm. um, so if we're talking about that rare instance of someone who had like the perfect idyllic childhood you know, great parents who were positive role models and everything was perfect and you had to pick a fence and all the things you needed. Like, that's a pretty rare individual. But even that individual is going to experience great challenge. Mm -hmm. And I was always worried about that. Like, when is that shoe going to fall? Like, I was always afraid of that. And then because I was like, will I be able to handle it? Will I have the tenacity, the determination, the resilience that these motivational speakers have like to overcome or will I curl up in a ball and like will it be over will I be a changed person and when those things did happen in my life I remember going okay I am who I think I am like even in these tough times I I just do what's right like just do the next that's always been my thinking is like just do the next right thing and as long as you know who you are in those tough situations you don't have to worry about what everyone else is going to do because you're like because no matter what happens i will do what i know is right mm -hmm. that's an interesting point you bring up about staying true to who you are what i i guess i've been grappling with this a lot lately and actually i was thinking because this is one of the first episodes i told you i was doing um a little podcast yes. thinking about that so i that was the first thing i talked about is how to figure out who you are and i think especially mm. for people my age and college and stuff figuring that out is really hard because we're around so many different groups and we see so many very like uh, various activities as normal so if you're in one group one thing's normal and like maybe you're a certain person with them but then if you change your friend group maybe you're friends with these people yeah you're this person so how do you figure out who exactly you are and come back to your core self. Wow. 
I don't know how to answer that because I've always just done me and not worried about it. So I, I just have to tell you, I don't know how to answer that except to not worry about what people are thinking about me. Mm-hmm. Like to do what feels right with the people that feels right. And, you know, when something does like pay attention to those ding, 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 like this doesn't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. This doesn't feel right. Yeah. Like to pay attention to those things and honor your feelings, like listen to your intuition and just follow that. And and because I always did that, I I don't think I ever struggled with like, who am I and what am I? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. One thing that we did in my, I had a child development class and we had to go back and ask our parents, what were we like as a kid? And it was interesting going back and asking my mom, she sent me this little paragraph thing about what I was like as a kid. And I actually just posted this quote on my story. Was it a surprise to you? It, it was a little bit. I think that, I don't know, this quote, so this quote that I posted was, um, there was a girl that I played basketball with like way long ago and she posted and I was like, oh my gosh, this resonates so much. And it talks about how you need to be who you are before society got to you and before Mm. you started acting in relation to what your culture says is okay. Yeah, yeah. And so that idea of like going back to your childhood self yeah. was really interesting. Yeah. Do you see like parallels between like who you are now and who you were as a child? The, I, my parents are staying with me right now. So I'll, I'll go home and ask them this tonight. But I think I know because they're, again, my parents read every parenting book available. Like mm-hmm. I remember parenting books out when I was growing up. And so they were, they were always trying to be better parents. Mm-hmm. I was aware of that. And I because of that, they were always kind of telling me a narrative mm-hmm. as I was growing up, like, you're the leader, you're the creator, you're the funny one, you're going to make, you know, they would always tell me this narrative that was a really positive narrative, mm-hmm. and I was living up to it. And so I think that, you know, what narrative they're going to tell me about what I was like as a child will be interesting. But I suspect they were telling me that narrative all along mm-hmm. as I was growing up. And I think I very much am, I think very much today, who I probably was as a a kid, I mean, I think about things I did like in elementary school and middle school. And yeah, that's pretty much on par with who I am mm-hmm. today. What are some of those things that like you did that like you think back to? I was always trying to organize a group to do <laughs> things like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, like my senior year in high school, I remember I got everybody. I'm like, okay, first day of school, it's going to be a funeral. And we're going to all wear black. And we're going to come in on our first day of school. And we're going to come in like three hours late to school in rows and rows and rows of black limos and so every scene and, and p.s i rented the limos and charged every senior a fee to be in the limos which of course there was you know a little padding in there so i was like making money on them too but i thought this is funny and it's exciting and it's different and it, we're really going to make a statement and i'm going to make some money you know like mm-hmm. so i would i was always doing something that i thought people would find funny and interesting and make a statement and like just live life big. But I was always trying to get other people to do it with me. I was always Mm -hmm. recruiting people, you know, whatever it was. That's so funny. I love that. If you could give like any advice to your younger self, knowing what you know now, what would you say? Because I know you said you're pretty like consistent from like who you are today versus who you were. I probably, and maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm 5'2". So there were a lot of times when I was, especially in college, Mm And because I had some business success and I was working with adults, like a lot of adult males, I worked as a paralegal and I, you know, had my all Michigan auto swap meet business. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking they don't see me as being important enough. They think I'm this dumb blonde law clerk, you know, so I was always trying to like get into debates and like 
prove my intelligence or prove my business sense or just I, w- I was always trying to prove myself and especially to men mm-hmm. and I you know it wasn't like I thought they were like I guess I just didn't think they took me seriously because I look like a little blonde girl you mm-hmm. know and I would tell my younger self like don't worry about it like you don't you don't have to prove anything and because mm-hmm. I think that sometimes came across as obnoxious mm-hmm. you know my parents were kind of talking about before I came to meet you they're like Jalene's like so like you can just tell she's so dynamic and confident in just the way that she talks. Aww. And they and so I guess my question to you is how how did you find that strength and that confidence and that is even exuded when you're just speaking over a podcast? Um so I I have a dialogue that I play in my head and I've mentioned this before that I think some people either play a dialogue that they've adopted from a negative influence in their life, mm-hmm. which is a shame because now you're playing a tape that doesn't belong to you or recording that doesn't serve you, but you can, whatever tape you play over and over in your head, it becomes part of your reality. It's in part of your beliefs. And again, to give my parents credit, and and I'm hoping that maybe some parents are watching this and realizing what influence you have over your children. But even those people, if you didn't have parents who did this for you, you have to play that voice of someone who said something amazing to you and you just have to keep playing that on loop Mm -hmm. because that's what gives me confidence when I start to feel insecure moments. So, you know, whatever it is, we all have insecure moments and I do too. And when I have them, I flip on that tape. And if I, if I were to play it out loud, people would be like, really, that's what you think. But I'm, I'm boosting myself. I'm, I'm trying to make myself feel and believe this because if I believe these things, I deliver with that authentic feeling. Like I really come through for other people as opposed to worrying about what they're thinking about me. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how much of life is such a mental game. Uh, it's bizarre. And I don't think I you'll know. realize how strong your mind is. Yeah, It's bizarre to me. Mindset is everything. Mm-hmm. It is everything. But it can be changed. Yeah. It can be a skill. You can learn it. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think... Again, so much of that is what we're surrounding ourselves with, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're around people who are like always complaining and always pointing out negative things, you're giving those people power to influence you, whether mm-hmm. you realize it or not. You think you're being nice. Like I have a, you know, a few acquaintances that I hope they don't see this, but they'll reach out to me over and over and over again. And there's mm-hmm. a reason why I'm intentionally always busy mm-hmm. is because I can't spend an hour with someone who just complains and complains and complains. I just can't mm-hmm. love you, but I can't do it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you meet people and you think, oh, that's a really great person. And once they feel comfortable, it's just like complain, complain, complain. You're like, I can't, can't, can't do it. Yeah. Can't do it. Have you found that like people saying those negative things, have you found that it ever influences the way you see yourself? And how do you overcome if someone sees something negative in you, but you know your intentions? Yeah, yeah. How do you overcome the fact that they're, you're still making them feel a certain way, even though you're not meaning to? That's hard because I I've let that get me mad before. Like mm-hmm. if someone's like you know has, has made a allegation about me and my intentions or my character, mm-hmm. that makes me really mad. And I have to let go of that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm learning to. And learning to recognize, like, okay, why is that so upsetting to me? Mm-hmm. Why, why am I so angry that they've made this accusation? Mm-hmm. And realizing that it's because it's a really important quality. And I've lived my life, in my mind, the opposite of that. So to have that kind of allegation can be upsetting. And, and I'm just learning to recognize it's their perception. Mm-hmm. And I can't take away from that. Like, yeah. that's, you're entitled to your perception. And then also recognizing that 
there may be some truth to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why I'm so hypersensitive to it. Like there, maybe there is some truth to it and there's some, an area for me to grow. Mm-hmm. Do you like, do you find yourself, will you apologize for those, for those things? Even if you know your intention was good, we still just say you're sorry to, because they clearly feel a certain way. Hmm. Depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes I, you know, if I'm just being honest, if I think I've offended someone, but they're offended because I don't know, their their own beliefs or whatever. If I've done right, I'm not going to apologize because that's her perception. Unless it's someone I really, really care about, mm-hmm. right? But I'm trying to think of examples of this. Like people, you know, a lot of times it comes down to faith. You know, like people say like, I'm, I'm highly offended that you, whatever, mentioned God or whatever, referred to your faith. And I'm like, I'm sorry that you're offended, but I'm not sorry that I shared that. Mm-hmm. Um, and other situations I can think of like on a more personal level, like if I, in the past, have had relationships with girls, with women who were insecure, like you really hurt me because you weren't available, whatever. I'm like, I just, I can't take care of someone's emotional needs. Mm-hmm. And so someone who might like, you know, it's their issue. I'm going to have empathy for the way that they felt that way, but that they questioned my intentions. Um, it's kind of on them, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I, I don't hold that. I don't, I don't sit with it. I don't let it bother me. And I know it's kind of their issue. Because I have friends who, they worry so much what other people think. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say they get invited to a baby shower. And they can't attend. And so they tell them, I'm sorry, I can't attend because I have to do this conference. Mm -hmm. They'll worry endlessly that that person was upset with them. I'm like, if they were upset with you, who cares? You did what you had to do. Like, you know, I don't worry too much. If I've done the right thing, I can't worry about what you think. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm more concerned with doing the right thing than doing the thing that's going to make me feel like that person likes me. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep your intention in check? And how do you make sure? Because I mean, we all have emotion. We get like frustrated or defensive or angry at people. So how do you make sure that you're con- you're always trying to do the right thing? I go slower. I think it through. I try not to make quick decisions. I have learned to say, that sounds awesome. Let me think about it or let me get back to you. I try to give myself enough space to be able to think it through and really be self-aware of what are my intentions. Like, I mean, like right now, today I'm struggling with a decision mm-hmm. and I, I'm really struggling with this difficult decision that I have because... I'm questioning my intentions Mm -hmm. and I think that's okay. And I haven't given my definitive answer yet because I need to be certain about my intentions and not fool myself or, you know, convince myself that my intentions are good Mm -hmm. and doing something that just might serve my ego or my business. I've got to do it for the right reasons. So I I just try to make those decisions slower. Yeah. How, what kind of advice would, because I feel like part of knowing your intention is knowing yourself and, Overcoming, I know you talk a lot about therapy yeah. and overcoming past traumas in order to figure out who you are, why you do what you do. Yes. How would you suggest if someone, let's say, didn't want to go to therapy, how do you suggest overcoming getting to know yourself? How do you figure out who you are, right? So I think most people, they, they have an idea of who they are, but what we don't always understand is why we think the way we think, why we... Um, respond the way that we do. And some of the things we do subconsciously, Mm -hmm. right? So for me, one of those things, which I would have never discovered had I not gone to therapy, Mm -hmm. never. I don't care how many books I would have read. I just don't think I would have ever discovered why I was a workaholic. 
And I also don't know that I would have ever recognized that it was an addiction. I just believed it was a badge of honor. Like Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's a cool, it's a good thing to have. It's work ethic. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I really believe that therapy is the ultimate, quickest, most direct way to figure that out, especially if you find a good therapist. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, it's reflection. And I, you know, I think you've got to go back to the first time you felt a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that usually keeps going back and back and back all the way to childhood, you know? And so much of what we do and how we respond and the way that we think and sometimes our skewed way of thinking Mm -hmm. relates back to something that happened very early in our childhood. And not that we can blame that, but you can definitely go, oh, that's where I started to form this belief. Mm-hmm. That's where that belief started to form. And then so much of the rest of my life, I've been looking for evidence to support that belief mm-hmm. or setting up unknowingly, setting up circumstances to support that belief. And the more experience and evidence I had to support this belief, the stronger and more powerful that belief becomes. Mm-hmm. So in other words, to disassemble a false belief, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning and go, oh, the root of this wasn't even accurate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's a tough, tall order for people who are afraid to do therapy. Mm-hmm. But I think there's less intimidating, less expensive alternatives for people. There are apps now. There are therapy. Pro- I'm trying to think of like the names of them right now. Don't come to me <laughs> if it, we'll put it below in the show notes. But there's a couple of different great places online where you can you can meet a therapist online and do online face-to-face therapy. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful. And then aside from that, it's just being super self-aware and wanting to grow. Mm-hmm. I see. I think kind of tying in even like empathy to this, I think that, so one of the things I talked about in my class is I'm so fascinated. I'm sure my friends are tired of hearing about it, but I'm fascinated by like psychopaths and sociopaths. I'm learning a lot about that right now. And a lot of the root of that is empathy. And yeah, sociopaths, a lack of it. Yes. Yeah. And they teach themselves to not have empathy for others because it hurts them. Mm-hmm. So do you think that those people who have this like deep rooted idea that they can't be empathetic to others or let others in, because it's going to hurt them, they don't want to be vulnerable. Do you think it's possible for them to work through those things and, I guess, kind of reblossom themselves and yeah. get to know themselves? And yeah. at what point do you think it's not possible to go back? I don't know. Do you listen to any of those horrible podcasts about? Do you listen to Sword and Scale? Yes. Oh, <laughs> and Dirty John. Horrible. <laughs> These people. I don't know. Some listen. I've listened to too many of those episodes. I my answer before listening to that podcast would be: Of course, anyone can turn into a human being who's loved and cares about other people. But after you listen to that podcast, you're like, okay. Without a doubt, evil exists. Like, mm-hmm. it's scary. Like, sometimes I'm like, I feel like I have to just, like, wash myself after listening to some of those yeah. podcasts. So I try not to listen to too many of those. Um, but sometimes you're like, guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I think anyone who wants to change, mm-hmm. grow, can. But you have to want it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, not everybody does. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants it, you know. We've got to wrap it up. But I want to ask Kaylee a question. And that is, Kaylee, what do you see your future looking like after you graduate? What do you predict you'll be doing? That's a hard question. I'm right now trying to grapple with whether or not I want to go to graduate school. It was something that was really, I had never thought I was going to go. But I talked to one of my professors just a couple months ago. And he was like, if you want to, I really want to, I feel like my purpose is to help bring these ideas we're talking about and 
bring them to teenage girls. Uh-huh. I think that there's such a lack of help for teenage women trying to yeah. overcome adversities, especially in today's society. Yeah. And helping them see beyond the present because we yeah. are so influenced by the situations we're brought up in. But so he was talking about how he thinks that going to graduate school would be helpful for that. But the hard thing for me is I don't want to approach it from a therapy kind of position. I want mm-hmm. it to be more of working with them to attain their goals and just overcome like friend drama, family drama, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just have it being like an older sister to them. So yeah. I'm really trying to figure that out, but I do like self-help blogging and I'm trying to start like a podcast. So I I want to continue to pursue those for sure. But What's the name of your podcast? It's going to be Beyond the Surface. Beyond the Surface. Good name. Yes. So my advice to you would be to continue doing that and don't wait till you have a degree, mm-hmm. right? Like I think, I think the degree helps in terms of credibility Mm-hmm. But I think what's going to prepare you is doing what you're doing, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're already doing it. And so to continue doing that, you're blogging, you're the way that you come across in social media, doing things like this, your podcast, that's going to give you so much more experience mm-hmm. than an advanced degree. But the advanced degree is going to give you that credibility that you don't necessarily need, but it's nice to have, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, would if you, you can. Would you do, like, pursue the, the degree? I think about it all the time. I tell my husband, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to go back to medical school. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and like, if it changes every other day, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to be a psychiatrist. No, I'm going to be a psychologist. No, I'm going to, so I'm always thinking about it mm-hmm. um, because I love to learn. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily need it, I don't think. Yeah. Um, interesting story. So when I first moved to Southern California, I was working in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. And this is in the early 90s. Like, personal training was booming. Like, mm-hmm. now everybody's a personal trainer. <laughs> but back then, like, that was a big deal. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I want to be a personal trainer. So I met with this guy who was one. And he's like, you know, you've got to get uh, your certification, da-da-da. You want to do this, want to do that. And I said, okay. And so I looked into the certifications. And then I went back to him and I said, so what certification are people like most looking for? Like, what are they impressed by? He goes, I don't think anyone's ever asked me if I'm certified. I'm like, huh. I got like nine certifications. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I was ever once, other than when I get hired at a gym. But client-wise, I don't think anyone ever asked me if I was certified they looked at how I trained them. Mm-hmm. So I think it helps if you are looking to establish that credibility. It certainly doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. But don't let that stop you. Like, don't think you need a degree to start a business. Don't think you need a degree to start helping people and, mm-hmm. and offering advice and, and mentoring others because the best experience you'll have is actually doing it. That's so true. That's very yeah. helpful. So I've, that's something that I, I really grapple with. But I feel like it's really about kind of like we were talking about with the personal training it's about your testimony. Like, who yes. are you as a person and where have you gotten yourself? And are you somebody that I could follow because I like what you're doing? Right. That's right. Well, it's been so awesome to have you. I'm so impressed. Thank you. Mom I really and Daddy did a good job. Me. This one is bright. And <laughs> let us know what you think about this interview below in the comments. Let us know if you think Kaylee should do more of these interviews. Great interviewer. <laughs> Actually listens. Listens to the answer. Because <laughs> I know you, you had a list of questions there and you went off script because you were listening. Thank so, you. So such a great skill. And uh, guys, be sure to follow her in social media. Make sure you download her podcast, which will be up and available soon on iTunes if it's not already. And thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by the Smart Life Push Journal. If you're the type of individual who loves to make lists, keep yourself on task, get organized, and there just don't seem to be enough hours in the day. 
This is a convenient, lightweight, simple to use 30 day system. This is not just a day planner. And learn how you can get your health, fitness, life and goals organized and develop the laser focus you need to have the life that you deserve. Check it out. Go to smartlifepushjournal.com.